The limits of this work preclude us from entering upon the subject of stigmata in general, but we may observe that the Catholic Church has produced a certain number of persons, St. Francis of Assisi being the first, who have attained to that degree of contemplative love of Jesus, which is the most sublime effect of union with his sufferings, and is designated by the theologians, fullness divinum, prego amoris viva. They are known to have been at least fifty. Veronica Giuliani, the Capuchin, who died at Cita di Castello in 1727, is the last individual of the class who has been canonized on the 26th of May, 1831. Her biography, published at Cologne in 1810, gives a description of the state of persons with stigmata, which in many ways is applicable to Anne Catherine. Columba Schanholt, who died at Bamberg in 1787, Magdalene Lorger, who died at Hennemar in 1806, both Dominicans, and Rose Sarah, a Capuchin at Ozieri in Sardinia, who received the stigmata in 1801, are those of our own times of whom we know the most. Josephine Kumi, of the convent of Wesen near Lake Wallenstadt in Switzerland, who was still living in 1815, also belonged to this class of persons, but we are not entirely certain whether she had the stigmata. Anne Catherine being, as we have said, no longer able to walk or rise from her bed, soon became unable also to eat. Before long, she could take nothing but a little wine and water, and finally only pure water, sometimes, but very rarely, she managed to swallow the juice of a cherry or a plum, but she immediately vomited any solid food taken in ever so small in quantity. This inability to take food, or rather, this faculty of living for a great length of time upon nothing but water, we are assured by learned doctors is not quite unexampled in the history of the sick. Theologians will be perfectly aware that there are many instances of contemplative ascetics, and particularly of persons frequently in a state of ecstasy, and who have received the stigmata, remaining long without taking any other food than the Blessed Sacrament. For instance, Blessed now Saint Nicholas of Flew, Saint Lidwina of Shidam, Saint Catherine of Siena, Saint Angela of Foligno, and St. Louis de l'Ascension, all the phenomena exhibited in the person of Anne Catherine remained concealed even from those who had the most intercourse with her, until the 25th of February, 1813, when they were discovered accidentally by one of her old convent companions. By the end of March, the whole town talked of them. On the 23rd of March, the physician of the neighborhood forced her to undergo an examination. Contrary to his expectation, he was convinced of the truth, drew up an official report of what he had seen, became her doctor and her friend, and remained such to her death. On the 28th of March, commissioners were appointed to examine into her case by the spiritual authorities of Munster. The consequence of this was that Anne Catherine was henceforth looked upon kindly by her superiors, 
and acquired the friendship of the late Dean Overberg, who from that time paid her every year a visit of several days' duration, and was her consoler and spiritual director. The medical counselor from Drufel, who was present at this examination in the capacity of doctor, never ceased to venerate her. In 1814, he published in the Medical Journal of Salzburg a detailed account of the phenomena which he had remarked in the person of Anne Catherine, and to this we refer those of our readers who desire more particulars upon the subject. On the 4th of April, M. Garnier, the commissary general of the French police, came from Munster to see her. He inquired minutely into her case, and having learned that she neither prophesied nor spoke on politics, declared that there was no occasion for the police to occupy themselves about her. In 1826, he still spoke of her at Paris with respect and emotion. On the 22nd of July, 1813, Overberg came to see her with Count de Stolberg and his family. They remained two days with her in Stolberg, and a letter which has been several times printed bore witness to the reality of the phenomena observed in Anne Catherine and gave expression to his intense veneration for her. He remained her friend as long as he lived, and the members of his family never ceased recommending themselves to her prayers. On the 29th of September, 1813, Overberg took the daughter of the Princess Galitzin, who died in 1806, to visit her, and they saw with their own eyes blood flow copiously from her stigmata. This distinguished lady repeated her visit, and after becoming Princess of Psalm, never varied in her sentiments, but together with her family remained in constant communion of prayer with Anne Catherine. Many other persons in all ranks of life were, in like manner, consoled and edified by visiting her bed of suffering. On the 23rd of October, 1813, she was carried to another lodging, the window of which looked out upon a garden. Condition of the saintly nun became day by day more painful. Her stigmata were a source of indescribable suffering to her down to the moment of her death. Instead of allowing her thoughts to dwell upon those graces to the interior presence of which they bore such miraculous outward testimony, she learned from them lessons of humility by considering them as a heavy cross laid upon her for her sins. Her suffering body itself was to preach Jesus crucified. It was difficult indeed to be an enigma to all persons, an object of suspicion to the greatest number, and of respect mingled with fear to some few, without yielding to sentiments of impatience, irritability, or pride. Willingly would she have lived in entire seclusion from the world, but obedience soon compelled her to allow herself to be examined and to have judgment passed upon her by a vast number of curious persons. Suffering as she was, the most excruciating pains, she was not even allowed to be her own mistress, but was regarded as something which everyone fancied he had a right to look at and to pass judgment upon, often with no good results to anyone but greatly to the prejudice of her soul and body, because she was thus deprived of so much rest and recollection of spirit.
there seemed to be no bounds to what was expected of her, and one fat man, who had some difficulty in ascending her narrow winding staircase, was heard to complain that a person like Anne Catherine, who ought to be exposed on the public road where everyone could see her, should remain in a lodging so difficult to reach. In former ages, persons in her state underwent in private the examination of the spiritual authorities, and carried out their painful vocation beneath the protecting shadow of hollowed walls. But our suffering heroine had been cast forth from the cloister into the world at a time when pride, coldness of heart, and incredulity were all the vogue. Marked with the stigmata of the Passion of Christ, she was forced to wear her bloody robe in public, under the eyes of men who scarcely believed in the wounds of Christ, far less in those which were but their images. Thus this holy woman, who in her youth had been in the habit of praying for long hours before pictures of all the stages of Christ's painful passion, or before wayside crosses, was herself made like unto a cross on the public road, insulted by one passer-by, bathed in warm tears of repentance by a second, regarded as a mere physical curiosity by a third, and venerated by a fourth, whose innocent hands would bring flowers to lay at her feet. In 1817, her aged mother came from the country to die by her side, and Catherine showed her all the love she could by comforting and praying for her, and closing her eyes with her own hands, those hands marked with the stigmata on the 13th of March of the same year. The inheritance left to Anne Catherine by her mother was more than sufficient for one so imbued with the spirit of mortification and suffering, and in her turn she left it unimpaired to her friends. It consisted of these three sayings, Lord, thy will, not mine, be done. Lord, give me patience, and then stray hard. Those things which are not good to put in the pot are at least good to put beneath it. The meaning of this last proverb was, If things are not fit to be eaten, they may at least be burned, in order that food may be cooked. This suffering does not nourish my heart, but by bearing it patiently, I may at least increase the fire of divine love, by which alone life can profit us anything. She often repeated these proverbs, and then thought of her mother with gratitude. Her father had died some little time before. The writer of these pages became acquainted with her state first through reading a copy of that letter of Stolberg, to which we have already alluded, and afterwards through conversation with a friend who had passed several weeks with her. In September 1818, he was invited by Bishop Saylor to meet him at the Count de Stolberg's in Westphalia, and he went in the first place to Sondermunen to see the Count, who introduced him to Overberg, from whom he received a letter addressed to Anne Catherine's doctor. He paid her his first visit on the 17th of, the September, of September 1818, and she allowed him to pass several hours by her side each day until the arrival of Sailor. From the very beginning she gave him her confidence to a remarkable extent, and this in the most touching and ingenuous manner. No doubt she was conscious that by relating without reserve the history of all the trials, joys, and sorrows of her whole life, she was bestowing a most precious spiritual alms upon him. 
she treated him with the most generous hospitality and had no hesitation in doing so because he did not oppress her and alarm her humility by excessive admiration she laid open her interior to him in the same charitable spirit as a pious solitary would in the morning offer the flowers and fruit which had grown in his garden during the night to some wayworn traveler who having lost his road in the desert of the world finds him sitting near his hermitage wholly devoted to her god she spoke in this open manner as a child would have done unsuspectingly with no feelings of mistrust and with no selfish end in view may god reward her her friend daily wrote down all the observations that he made concerning her and all that she told him about her life whether interior or exterior her words were characterized alternately by the most childlike simplicity and the most astonishing depth of thought and they foreshadowed as it were the vast and sublime spectacle which later was unfolded when it became evident that the past the present and the future together with all that pertained to the sanctification the profanation and judgment of souls formed before and within her an allegorical and historical drama for which the different events of the ecclesiastical year furnished subjects and which it divided into scenes so closely linked together were all the prayers and sufferings which she offered in sacrifice for the church militant on the 22nd of october 1818 sailor came to see her and having remarked that she was lodging at the back of a public house and that men were playing at nine pins under her window said to the playful yet thoughtful manner which was peculiar to him see see all things are as they should be the invalid nun the spouse of our lord is lodging in a public house above the ground where men are playing at ninepins like the soul of man in his body his interview with anne catherine was most affecting it was indeed beautiful to behold these two souls who were both on fire with the love of jesus and conducted by grace through such different paths meet thus at the foot of the cross visible stamp of which was borne by one of them on friday the 23rd of october sailor remained alone with her during nearly the whole of the day he saw blood flow from her head her hands and her feet and he was able to bestow upon her great consolation in her interior trials he most earnestly recommended her to tell everything without reserve to the writer of these pages and he came to an understanding upon the subject with her ordinary director he heard her confession gave her the holy communion on saturday the 24th and then continued his journey to the count de stolberg's on his return at the beginning of november he again passed the day with her he remained her friend until death prayed constantly for her and asked her prayers whenever he found himself in trying or difficult positions the writer of these pages remained until january he returned again in may 1819 and continued to watch anne catherine almost interruptedly uninterruptedly until her death the saintly maiden continually besought the almighty to remove the exterior stigmata on account of the trouble and fatigue which they occasioned and her prayer was granted at the end of seven years toward the conclusion of the year 1819 the blood first flowed less frequently from her wounds and then ceased altogether 
On the 25th of December, scabs fell from her feet and hands, and there only remained white scars, which became red on certain days. But the pain she suffered was undiminished in the slightest degree. The mark of the cross and the wound on her right side were often to be seen as before, but not at any stated times. On certain days, she always had the most painful sensations around her head, as though a crown of thorns were being pressed upon it. On these occasions, she could not lean her head against anything, nor even rest it on her hand, but had to remain for long hours, sometimes even for whole nights, sitting up in her bed, supported by cushions, while her pallid face and the irrepressible groans of pain which escaped her made her like an awful living representation of suffering. After she had been in this state, blood invariably flowed more or less copiously from around her head. Sometimes her headdress only was soaked with it, but sometimes the blood would flow down her face and neck. On Good Friday, April 19, 1819, all her wounds reopened and bled and closed again on the following days. A most rigorous inquiry into her state was made by some doctors and naturalists. For that end, she was placed alone in a strange house, where she remained from the 7th to the 29th of August, but this examination appears to have produced no particular effects in any way. She was brought back to her own dwelling on the 29th of August, and from that time until she died, she was left in peace, save that she was occasionally annoyed by private disputes and public insults. On this subject, Overberg wrote her the following words. What have you had to suffer personally, of which you can complain? I am addressing a soul more I am addressing a soul desirous of nothing so much as to become more and more like to her divine spouse. Have you not been treated far more gently than was your adorable spouse? Should it not be a subject of rejoicing to you, according to the spirit, to have been assisted to resemble him more closely and thus to be more pleasing in his eyes. You had suffered much with Jesus, but hitherto insults had been for the most part spared you. With the crown of thorns you had not worn the purple mantle and the robe of scorn. Much less had you yet heard the cry, Away with him! Crucify him! Crucify him! I cannot doubt that these sentiments are yours. Praise be to Jesus Christ.